Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Man, it's a really interesting thing to sing a song that just says, my heart is an open space, and then to have your way. That's a, that's a pretty big sentiment. I, I don't know that every time we sing that song, that kind of gets me a little bit, because man, all the things we have in our lives and all the busyness and all the frustration and fears, and even while I was sitting there during worship, you know, dealing with some of those same stresses that I have and that are popping in my mind and my heart to sing those words and sing that truth over it is uh, freeing, um, and I hope it was for you as well. Let me pray for us. We're going to dive right in with a little bit of fun, because we want to have fun at church, right? You guys good with that? We need to have more fun at church, so we're going to try to do that this morning. Um, let me pray for us. Jesus, you're good. Uh, Lord, we're thankful that you're with us, that your presence is always here, and we pray that you would make that more pronounced in our hearts right now as we uh, dive into your word, as we seek to know what it is that you want for us, um, as we talk about something as big as temptation and fighting uh, sin today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us examine ourselves, that your word would uh, be a conduit to truth, and that it would shake off the hardness of our hearts uh, so that we might be more used by you uh, in a greater capacity to build your kingdom so you would come again. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. So um, real quick before we dive all the way in, I want to remind you this is the last week to sign up for our marriage retreat. Uh, if you want to go, we want you there. So this is your last week. We, I think we have like 13 couples coming, so we want more. Uh, doesn't, we're not making any money off of it. It's actually, I think, a negative thing for us budget-wise, but that's okay because it's about y'all. So um, it's about Jesus, let me be clear. But uh, I know some of y'all are like, I can't do that. Um, no, but we'd love for you to come. It's going to be in Asheville at a beautiful hotel in the middle of downtown. We're going to have fun. We're going to talk about how to communicate better uh, as a couple. We're going to give you time. Parents, I'm going to get an amen here, away from your kids. Amen. amen. Thought I had more amens there. Um, sorry. <laughs> One dad said amen, and the mom was like, not amen, we love our kid. <laughs> Still great. <laughs> anyway, that being said, uh, also softball signups are here. We have a co-ed team. We'd love for you to play softball. If you love to play softball, we want you there. We have a pretty good team. I'm just going to be honest with you, but we need a few extras to pop in so we can solidify our team because playing softball with uh, 10 people is always better than eight. So um, anyhow, let's have a little fun this morning. Are we good with that? My goal is to make this a little stressful for you. All right? So... Let's see what happens. Let's play the first song. Look at you guys already in. I was worried I was going to have to like really coax you guys into that, but not at Trailside, I guess, huh? That was perfect. Let's, see, let's try song two here. Let's see if it's familiar to anybody. Maybe. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. you guys. 
Man, I hope Aiden was listening. We have 11 more people to come sing Sundays. It's great. One more. Let's do one more. That's the line nobody knows. Everyone's like, da 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 star. Yeah. Crazy. How have fun. Yeah, so it's fun to do that, right? It's fun to be a part of that and goof off a little bit. And I think it's kind of fun to sing Build Me Up Buttercup in church. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I don't know. But the reason we did that is because I had a very interesting experience this week. As I was prepping my message, I was listening to a 2000s top hits Anybody else out there? Yeah. yeah. Maybe you're like 80s top hits and you went to the 80s prom this weekend. That's fine, but not me. 2000s. And a song came on and I heard the first like little bit of it and I started immediately bouncing in my office. And I was like, huh. And it's called Make Them Say Um by Master P. <laughs> Whew. This is, this is BC, BJC, before Jesus Christ in my life, Sean. I uh, really enjoyed that song, and so I started dancing in my office by myself, and I was like, make them say, uh, and then it started the first line, and I realized why that song is off of my playlist. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was like six bad words in a row. Like, it instantly shut my computer off. My kids were running around the office, and I was like, holy Moses. What happened that I got that into that song? It, it, was, it was weird. It was crazy. But I immediately remembered why I regretted that, because the words were just not that great. But it's, it's amazing how music ties us back to memories, right? Like, everybody felt something when those songs came on. Or maybe you're thinking about a song that always brings you back. Maybe it's a song that your wife marched down the aisle to, or uh, that you played on the playlist while your child was being born, or could be anything. But you have memories attached to these songs. But what I realized is that it's amazing how those memories after time kind of get romanticized a little bit, right? And for, for me, being able to forget horrendous lyrics in the first line of a song, because it was something that I hadn't really listened to in 20 years. And so it kind of just was there, and it was shocking. And I, I started thinking about how that happens, like how I can have such a joyful reaction for a moment to something that is just not good, not beneficial for my family, for me. And what I, what I realized was, um, as, as these memories, as these things that happen, these things like songs grow a little dim and a little distant, we kind of tend to romanticize them. And so um, we forget some of the things that we hear and that we're told. Like it becomes this nebulous memory. And so instead of thinking about the first line of make them say, uh, I think about like driving in my car with my friends in high school and blaring music and probably making a lot of old ladies really mad Um, because there was nothing more more thug than four white dudes in a Jeep Grand Cherokee hanging out in the east side of Greenville Um, really really dove into that that tough culture in our suburban life Um, but but that's what happens right these like memories kind of become nebulous and it causes us to 
almost unintentionally restate things. Like live kind of new truths, if we can use that word. And what happens is we then present these as facts and they become hazy and then we get stronger against it and then the next thing you know, we're defending things that we don't even really aren't familiar with. And we start living our lives on that. That's, what, that's what's happened with, the, with culture. It's happened with Christian culture, honestly, lately. And so what I, what I want to do is I want to actually dive into some of that in Matthew 4. So you can turn to that or use your app or whatever this morning. Um, but that especially comes with Temptation, kind of a scary idea, right? Temptation uh, is defined as an American vocal group who released a series of six, no, I'm sorry, that's, my bad, that's the Temptations, um, Wikipedia. No, I'm just kidding. No, Temptation is, is, is a thing that happens where we, we trade the promises of God for, for what is unknown, for the immediate, for the satiation, big word, of our need in that moment. That's when temptation happens. We, we take what God promises to give us and take care of us, and we throw it away, and we say, but I need this right now. We, something I can sink my teeth into. And so what happens is we dive into temptation, and then we give in, and then next thing we know, there's guilt, and there's fear, and there's pain, and there's all these things go with it. And we have opportunity. We can do one of two things, right? We can either dive into that fear and guilt, or we can dive back into Jesus. That's, that's the gospel. That's the hope that we have in the Christian life. Let me tell you what temptation is not. Because I'm just going to lay some groundwork for us, okay? Temptation is not sin. When you are tempted to do something, it is not sin. It's not sinful. So that momentary fear that you have, like Jesus isn't mad at you for that. Good news, I can give you biblical reason. Because Jesus himself, as we're about to read, was also tempted. That, that fear that you have when bills are high and money is low, or that desire you have for maybe thinking your marriage isn't what it should be and you can just start over, or your kids are angry and they stink and so you should get new ones, or whatever fear you might have, whatever fear you might have, Whatever temptation you might incur, maybe it's just to not trust God to be who he says he is. Maybe your temptation is that when God says he will take care of you, he will walk with you, he will watch over you, that he cares more for you than he does the sparrows and the, and the flowers in the field, maybe your temptation is not to believe that. Maybe, maybe it's something smaller than that. Maybe it's not getting rid of one of your children. hope not. Maybe, maybe your temptation is to believe that you actually aren't valuable at all to anyone. Maybe your temptation is to believe that God just kind of has forgotten you or messed you up or isn't really there for you and doesn't really care enough because so-and-so down the street is obviously living a blessed life. Or that in your mental struggle, that in depression and anxiety or whatever you are dealing with, that because everyone has something, whatever it is, that God doesn't care or isn't strong enough, maybe your temptation is to believe that he can't overcome that for you. See, it's not a sin to deal with those things. Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4. But here's what it does. Temptation sounds like joy. It sounds like peace. It sounds like 
an answer to a question that you're dealing with, to a struggle that you're dealing with, but all it actually is is it leads to death. It leads to deeper hurt, deeper pain, deeper concern. But it's really good, right? In that moment, it seems exactly what you need. Or it seems like the easy way out. A shortcut to happiness. But here's why, because what temptation does is it attaches itself to something good and it tells you that the shortcut to this good that you want is worth you giving up the promises and the hard work in order to get to the purest state of what that good thing is. For instance, pornography, embezzlement, self-hate. It tells you that here's a good thing that God has given you, which is identity and trust and relationship. And it says, yeah, but there's a shortcut to this so you can get what you want out of it. And you hope that's going to bring fulfillment, but it doesn't because it's never going to because that's what temptation does. It gives itself or attaches itself to something good and says this is more valuable than what God has promised you. So instead of fighting for marriages, we run to other avenues because that can give us fulfillment. Or instead of trusting God in provision, we run to things that are maybe not so, I don't know, government reportable. Because it can solve an immediate need. Or maybe it's just easier to live in our depression and our fear than it is to trust God and to let go of it and watch what he does with it. Isn't that crazy? It's always mind-blowing to me. And look, I I take medicine for anxiety. I'm always anxious and trying hard to not be, but it's a struggle because I'm a human being too. It's always interesting to me that we like to hold on to those things because if we let go of them, we fear what might happen if we actually let go of them. So it's easier to hold on to it and to live in it and just go, this is who I am. I hope God can work in it instead of doing exactly what we're going to read Jesus does and give it away. But that's what temptation does. It causes us to forget those things. So I'm going to read Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to dive into this idea of why, here's a little friction for you, why you're better when you're fighting temptation. Weird thing, right? Here we go. Jesus is just baptized, and we read in Matthew, or, yeah, Matthew 4, sorry. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit <clears throat> into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I'm going to read that again because I don't want to glaze over that, okay? Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We'll come back. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest your foot strike against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you 
If you fall down and worship me, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. This is the Savior of the universe. This is God incarnate, who, very interestingly, guys, is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being tempted. Is that, like, uneasy for anyone else? When I read that, I'm like, oh, man. Here is the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into a place where he will be tempted by Satan. Can we, can we just deal with some bad theology real quick? Is, we okay? is that okay? Are you all with me? We okay? One of my favorite things to do. <clears throat> you dealing with temptations and hardship is not an absence of God's power in your life. It is the presence of God's power in your life. You having a really hard day and having that person that you don't like or whatever it is, you having haters is exactly what God wants for you. He wants you in the desert. He will lead you in, sometimes he will lead you into the desert. It's not because he's mad at you. It's because you need to be in the desert. It's because you do, because we have told ourselves we can be so self-sufficient. We have told ourselves we can put everything exactly how it should be and that God will just work in that. And God is saying and showing us right here, it's not about us building a house and God filling it. It's about God filling it and then us worshiping him and trusting him in the midst of it when it looks like the walls are coming down. That's the difference. But we have told people, guys, and there are thousands of people in churches right now hearing bad sermons and bad theology because they've said God is for you and he wants all good for you and he'll never allow harm to come to you. And that's not the promises of God. The promises of God is sometimes I will lead you into the desert and you will be tempted and it will hurt, but you have to depend on me, not on yourself. And you know why so many people falter and why it's so stinking hard to walk with Jesus? Because we are believing a lie that what we need to do is just be super tough and that God will fill the gaps. But that's not, guys, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Listen, if you could do everything you need under your strength, this church would be crushing it. Because we have people who aren't getting paid a dime who are here all the time working their butts off. And man, sometimes we try too hard to do it our own way. Sometimes you have to go into the desert to find success. But here's the deal. Success in the term of Jesus and who he is doesn't look like more money in your account. Success doesn't look like more people thinking you're really cool. Super neato. Success doesn't look like anxiety and frustration and fear just go away. Let me show you what success looks like. It looks like when Satan comes and attacks you that you instead run to Jesus instead of your own self-sufficiency. That's the difference of the gospel. But here's what temptation does. Temptation seeks to silence the Spirit's work in your life. Again, I can't get over the first verse of chapter 4. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted. Does that fit in really pretty theology? No. Our theology is, hey, uh, we're living our life and we're following the Holy Spirit and he's going to put up hedges of protection, wherever that came from, I don't know. 
Um, if you know Christianese, you've heard that. Lord, we just pray a hedge of protection. What does that mean? Bushes? I don't, I don't know. It doesn't work for Georgia, am I right? Hey. Um, sorry, sports joke. I miss football. Um, but no, but listen, listen. That's what temptation does. It seeks to silence the Spirit's work in your life because sometimes the Spirit's work in your life might be that he's walking you into the desert. It might be that, and I'm sorry that doesn't fit, guys. I'm sorry that's not really pretty American theology, but we're here for gospel theology. That's what it does. It, It attempts to mute an immutable gospel by stealing promises out of you and out of God's truth and out of who God says you are. And that's why Satan uses temptation in order to, to change your view, to mess you up. What, what Satan does is he, First Peter says, prowls the, prowls the earth like a lion waiting for its prey. What he does is he tries to remind you of who you are outside of Jesus. And then he wants you to live in that. That's why he wants to destroy you. Because if you can be who you were before Jesus, then he can own you. That's, and that's just truth. But here's what temptation does. Church, temptation actually places you inside a greater relationship with God himself. You are better in your temptation. There's that friction for you. And here's why, because what it does is it, it is a place of preparation for God's movement in your life. Like, let's just, can we just do this? Can we just take this and, and believe what it says for a moment? This is not Sean's opinion. This is not like commentaries I've read. I just want to point you to three parts in Scripture. Exodus 24. Moses, just before he receives the law. Temptation. Elijah, right before he receives his calling in 1 Kings 19. Temptation. And then Jesus, just before he begins his ministry. Temptation. I, I, I just, I don't see anything different scripturally anywhere. So let's do this. Let's talk about how, how does Satan tempt us? Because this is where it's going to get a little more real for us. And it's encouraging. Don't worry. We're going to walk out of here happy, okay? Remember we sang, build me a buttercup at the front of this. All right, let's go back. Let's go back to the good times. Let's dive back in Matthew 4. Because Satan's going to use three different things to, to tempt Jesus, and he uses them for you too. It's going to be honest. First thing. Verse two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, was hungry. I'm like, yeah, I get that 40 minutes. I'm, I'm in, you know, need a snack. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So Jesus is 40 days and 40 nights, starving, walking around the desert, has not eaten. And Satan says, hey, I'm going to go right right for the easiest point here, right? If you are who you say you are, turn these stones into bread. Eat. Use your power to just fix this. Right? Right? 
He immediately goes after Jesus' physical, human side and his human need. And he says, hey, listen, I know you're hungry, so just, just use your magical powers and make these stones bread. You can eat it and be satisfied. Is it, guys, wow. Is that not exactly what Satan does with us? How many times has your fear of who you are lied in either what you have or what you're going through or what your body is doing? Anybody? Anyone had to have a really scary doctor visit before? I looked at your bank account and it didn't meet what, what it needs to meet? College students, I heard no amens from you. I'm amazed. <laughs> like, the calf is bad, but I'm going to eat it. <laughs> I remember Sunday nights at Christian college. I get it. It's when you have chicken for the fourth time. It's true. Or your mortgage is due or rent is coming up and you don't know what you're going to do. It's the same thing Satan does to Jesus. He says, listen, you have a physical need. Just use your magic and fix it. If you are who you say you are, just do this. And I love Jesus' response, as I hope I always do. He quotes scripture back to Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Guys, consider this battle we're seeing, like, drop down, right? It is Satan and Jesus on a mountaintop. Y'all, that's pay-per-view all over it. That's the biggest fight of ever. And they're they're going back and forth, and Jesus is hungry, he's starving, he's hurting because he is 100% man and 100% God. So yes, Jesus got tired and hungry, and Satan says, hey, just fix this. And Jesus goes, no, you know what? Here's what God says. God says that man survives on every word out of the mouth of God, the bread of life. And Satan's like, okay, round two. So far we're one zero, Jesus. Round two. Actually, I'm sorry. Let me back up real quick. Um, in round, back in round one. Because here's what Satan does. Satan attempts in his battle against you as well. Because can I, let's just be real. The Bible's very clear. Satan wants to murder and destroy you. Can we, just, can we just understand that? Like, if you're a human, if you have a soul, if God created you, Satan wants to destroy you. He wants everything poor for you, and he wants to rip every piece of who you are out of you. All of your identity and everything, that's what he's about. So Satan attempts to manipulate Jesus and twist Jesus and manipulate God's power in order to satisfy these physical desires. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that in churches where manipulation is the first thing people do in order to achieve what pastors want. Bigger thrones, bigger platforms, more importance, more authority. And we see, we see people try to twist truth and scripture to fit their needs and desires. Now round two. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So this was, um, I, I can't say this, uh, the place right, so I apologize. I've never been there. Um, but it's the, I think it's the Kidron or the Kidron Valley. It's where they were. So he puts Jesus up 300 plus meters 
on top of the, the southeast part of this temple where he could see something like 250 miles, like square miles. It's just, it's up in the middle of, not, like, of, in the middle of everything, and it's a beautiful view around. Have you guys ever been to Pretty Place? It's like Pretty Place, but times a, a thousand. So Satan elevates Jesus and, and brings him to this, this high point where he can see all of the kingdoms. He said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Satan says, look, if you are the son of God, again, doubting who Jesus is, just throw yourself down. Because here's what the Bible says. Satan's like, you want to use scripture? Here we go, I got one. Bible says, Psalm 91 says that, that God won't even let you strike your heel that the angels will lift you up upon their hands. Like, beautiful thought, right? And Jesus says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Interesting, Jesus' response is the exact same thing as he said, just with different words, just before. And here's why. Because Satan quotes scripture, right? Anybody into politics right now? You may have seen a very interesting recent tweet from the president's son. Anybody see this? Are we alive? It's okay. You can still be a Republican and see this and think it's funny, okay? I promise. This guy named Trump, he's a president. This girl named Nancy Pelosi, she's not. They don't get along. And she said, I'm praying for Trump. And Donald Trump's son said, Nancy Pelosi saying she's praying for Trump is just as much a lie as Satan quoting scripture to Jesus. And I'm like, well, hate to break it to you, biblical scholar. Matthew 4, <laughs> it happens. Genesis 2, it happens. We see it regularly. That's what Satan does. He takes God's word and he twists it and constructs it into a place where it seems like it's not actually authoritative. And I'm not saying Donald Trump Jr.'s son is Satan. Let's not, don't go home and talk about that over lunch because that's not what I'm saying, okay? This is not a political arena. But here's the difference in Psalm 91. You know what it does say? It absolutely says what Satan says. 100%. That is exactly, if you go read Psalm 91, what it says. However, it does not say if you jump. It doesn't say if Jesus jumps, then his angels will come upon their hands and lift him up. In fact, if you understand contextually what Psalm 91 is saying, it's saying that God will not let you fall. And when you do, he will pick you up and not let anything come against you. But Satan goes after Jesus' security and his protection. And listen, here's the thing. Jumping would have given Jesus a great following, right? Like if you're hanging out and you can look up at the top corner of the temple where there's Satan and Jesus battling it out. And you see Jesus like, yeah, okay, Satan, that's fine, I'll show. And he jumps, and then the angels come and lift him up. That's going to get you a following, right? Like maybe. Might kind of be a big deal, showing off a little bit. But here's the problem is that that's not how God's plan of redemption worked. Jesus was not ready yet to show himself as a savior, as the savior, as the Messiah. And that's not how it was going to happen. Jesus was going, as we read, 
to go out and demonstrate himself as Messiah by going to people, meeting their needs, healing them, walking with them, teaching them, and then being hung on a cross and brutally beaten and dying and then resurrecting from the dead. That's how Jesus became famous. And so Satan says, hey, go up on this thing, throw yourself down, the angels will come get you. And Jesus goes, listen, that's not the way for me to to bring redemption to the people. The way for me to bring redemption is to walk with people and to die a terrible death and to defeat it and give hope in knowing that this world isn't everything. And then to go prepare a place. But that's what Satan does. He attacks our security and our protection. He says, hey, you need to worry about what's happening right here, right now, and what God's word says and what God continually tells us is, no, this world holds nothing for you. When you fear what this world is going to do for you, that's because you've forgotten the promise that God has for you in heaven. It's a really really weird thing to say, but the worst thing that can happen to you if you follow Jesus, the worst thing on earth that can happen to you is the best thing that can happen to you for eternity. That's why Paul was able to say, I wish I wish I could no longer be here so I could be with Jesus. And you're like, that's weird. You want to be dead? No, he wants to be more alive than ever. But that weirds people out when I say that because our comfort is in what we know now. And so Jesus says again, do not put God to the test. There's no need for that. Verses 8, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Now, here's a problem with that. He doesn't have the authority over them to give to Jesus. And y'all, listen, here's what we do. When we doubt and we fear and when we sin and we're tempted, We are allowing Satan to have ownership over authority of something in your life that he does not own. It's not his. But you know what we do in temptation? We run to it because Satan's authority means our authority. And if we can take it from him and control him, we think we might feel better. And then we dive into that temptation. And you know what we're left with? Fear and guilt and more doubt. And it becomes easier and easier and easier and easier and easier to walk that path because we're not fighting through the brush anymore. We're just walking on dirt because we've walked it so often. But Satan's name of the game is if. See, the problem is we're selling out for an if instead of believing in the promise. The problem, excuse me, not the promise. The problem is... We're selling out for the if instead of believing in the promise. If if you will only do this, then I will do this for you. That's what temptation, that's what sin does. Hey, if you'll just do this one thing, then you'll get fulfillment. Hey, if you just give in to him, then you'll be fulfilled, you'll be loved. Hey, if you just dive into your worry and concern and do something crazy to solve this huge issue you have, then you'll at least be able to breathe a little bit hey, if you give who you are to to her, that'll fix your life. It'll be a lot easier. And that's what temptation does. It promises things that aren't there. It takes authority away from the things that are. It takes authority away from God and his goodness and his promise and his plan for you. God does have a great plan for you, but sometimes it means you're going to be led into the wilderness in order to fight with the devil. 
And so the devil offers a shortcut to Jesus' future reign that, again, sidesteps the grave. It exchanges the love of the Father for the worship of Satan. And even more so, it's an absolute lie. So here's what Satan does. First thing is this, he challenges God's word. When, when you're in temptation, when you're fighting, when you're trying to get through, the first thing that he is going to do is he's going to challenge God's word. Go all the way back to Genesis 2. When, when Satan meets Eve in the garden, which by the way, gentlemen, it's not Eve's fault. If Adam was doing his job, she wouldn't have been there alone with Satan. So let's clarify that. No woman power in here? Okay, well. I try, ladies. Trying to help me get these men in order. Now in Genesis 2, Satan just walks up, has a casual conversation. He's like, oh, hey, you're here. Have you tried everything? Good food here. And he goes, did God really say that? She said, yeah, if we touch that fruit, if we touch it, we'll die. Like, did God really say that? That's not what God meant. I don't know. It's not what he really is saying. It's the first thing that happens when temptation comes. Like, did God really say, is that really what Scripture says? Are you sure about that? Listen, there are so many verses in the Bible I wish I could take out. Can I just be straight about that? My life and your life would be so much easier if there were things in the Bible we could just be like, uh, that doesn't really matter. It's not that important. I promise. I would love to live in a way where I could just say, that verse, I don't love that much. Like, ooh, that one doesn't fit culture. Oh, I don't know, that might really offend somebody. But it doesn't. That's not what Scripture says. I'm sorry. Because the authority is by God. It's not by us. But that's what Satan does. He challenges. He says, does God really say that? Does that really matter nowadays? Yeah. Or as we talked earlier, he reinterprets God's word. But I love Jesus' response. In verse 11, sorry, in verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus' response is like, Hey, um, go. I'm only going to worship God. Worship God, that's it. That, that's our, when you're in temptation, that's your response, church. That's why you're better. You're not better in sin. You're better in temptation because it causes you to have an opportunity to run to the cross instead of run to yourself. I've said this before, but I think we're at the school, so we have new people to say it too, so that's great. Um, joke, didn't fit. Uh, as a father, as, as a parent, when my child is hurt, do you know what they do? They run to their father. They go to a place of hope and comfort and security. When your child falls down and bumps their head, they come to the father and they say, hold me and take care of me because I'm hurting and I need hope. And y'all, I've got news for you. That is the gospel. That's what Jesus says to do. He says, I'm not going to worship Satan. I'm not going to worship the world. When you are hurting, when you're tempted, when you're struggling, run to the Father. And we have a lot of men who are willing to do that for their children, but not willing to do that for themselves. And hey, men, you can't lead your wife 
and your children or your girlfriends or whoever well if you're doing it by your own strength and you are the savior of your family. You can't do it. You will fall apart. You want proof? Go read the news. That's it. You go to Walmart and, and look for the mom with four kids who is struggling and falling apart because I know you can see it just as well as I can. Because we have to run to the Father in our moments of need and comfort and peace. And it will never be accomplished by running to temptation and running to Satan. You cannot do it. You are not able. Sorry, guys. You're not as tough as you think you are. None of us are. That's why we get made fun of when it's like a bunch of dudes in circles crying because it's so awkward and so like unnorm or not normative. But it's so it's, it's beautiful because it's relationship. And so we run to the Father. And then what happens? Angels come and they take care of Jesus. They minister to Jesus. So how do you win? How do you win? Very easy. We know how we lose. We've talked about that so far. So how do you win when temptation comes? The first is this. What did Jesus use every temptation? Scripture. He quotes Scripture back. He understands Scripture. Satan quotes Psalm 91 to him, and he puts it in context and says, No, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. We have to know Scripture. You have to. If I'm a married man who never spends time with my wife, how in the world can I tell anyone about how great she is? I'm like, I'm married. There's a woman over there. We kissed once. It was awesome. No, I, I cannot demonstrate love for my wife by just kind of seeing her every now and again. You have to know them intimately. Relationship, friendship comes with intimacy and time spent. How in the world can you expect as a believer or someone who wants to know Jesus, how can you expect to know anything about him and feel any inclusiveness and togetherness with the gospel if you spend no time in it? Read. Know Jesus. Pray. Jesus' rebuttal to Satan is always scripture. He always comes back and talks about truth about who God is. That's why in your Bibles, when you read it, it probably has it kind of set apart. And it's quoted because Jesus is literally quoting scripture back to Satan. The first verse my youth pastor when I was 6, 17 ever told me to memorize was Psalm 19, I'm sorry, 119, 9 through 11. And it says, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I've hidden my word, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's very clear. How do you fight temptation? When temptation comes and you have the, this appetite that comes for things of the world and promises that are going to lead you to death, no scripture. Remind yourself of the promises of God. It's the only way to win because you are going to be led into the wilderness by the spirit of God to fight temptation with the devil. You just are. I'm sorry. Again, I wish it wasn't in scripture so I could tell you it's not going to happen, but it is. You have to be familiar so that you know when things aren't right. I have this. It's my only one. $100 bill. Anybody seen one of these before? Yeah. Our offering is at the end. (laughs) 
Interesting thing about these $100 bills, they were just redone a few years ago, and there's a bunch of really cool things that, that the government has put into them. For instance, every dollar bill weighs one gram. It is 2.61 inches wide. It is, wow, that's loud. It's all right though. It is 6.14 inches exactly long. But it's even got cooler stuff than that. There's a 3D ribbon right here, this blue ribbon, right? And as you shift it, it changes because it's what's called micro lenses. There's thousands of micro lenses. And so what it does is as it shifts, you can see the words USA and 100 move. And it's really cool. And there's also, if you hold it in the light, there's a 3D ribbon, which I don't remember. Oh, it's right there. It's a one little thread. The $100 bill is 25% uh, linen, or 25% cotton, 75% linen. I think that's right. 25% linen, 75% cotton, sorry. But there's a thread that runs right over his shoulder that has the words 100 and USA printed on it. And that glows bright pink in a UV light. Thought that was interesting. He's got little raised areas on his shoulder you can feel right here. And even in the stamping, there's technology so that it cannot be stolen away to protect the integrity of this so that you know when you get one of these, it is worthwhile tender. It's going back in my pocket. Gotta buy groceries later. Now, I, however, do have a $100 bill to give away. I got it from the U.S. Treasury. It's a, uh, it's a bit of a do-it-yourself. But I colored the blue ribbon, as you see right here, the micro lenses. I forgot the thread. I'm sorry. I meant to do that. But Thursday was crazy. It works. It looks like it, kind of, right? And I know this is silly, but this is why I say this, because, guys, this is what we do with temptation. We, we trade thing for an imitation. And we think that this is good enough. Now, if you know somewhere that will take these, I can reproduce this. It's not that hard. I know some of you are like, wow, I should listen to an art podcast that talks about your beauty and artistic value. I know. It's a, I'm not just a pastor, guys. An artiste. No downloaded straight from the U.S. Treasury on their website. But guys, here's what's happening. We're trading the real thing and real relationship for a cheap imitation of who Jesus is. And that's what Satan does. In your temptation, when you falter and dive into sin, it's because we are trading the real thing, hope, security, relationship, trust, value, integrity, identity, we're trading those things for a cheap imitation. And here's the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to do that anymore. So church, my encouragement to you is in the words of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. This is what the writer says. It says, for now no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you 
may be able to endure it. God will give you more than you can handle. Stop going on Instagram and finding things that grandma posted that she thinks are really cute sounding. God will give you more than you can handle. Because if you can handle it, you wouldn't need God. You will be tempted, but trust and know that there's no temptation that will come to you that is not common to man. And know that the gospel says that Jesus has met every single one of them and yet did not sin. And Hebrews 4 says that you have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with your weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as you will be and yet was without sin. The reason leadership and accountability and friendship and mentorship are so important is because we can walk with people who have gone before us through things and not have to fall down as much as they did. You have a Savior who has been tempted in every way that you will be tempted, who has fought every battle you will fight. And all he says is to follow. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're good, that you love us. God, that you give us an opportunity to not have to deal with all the things that the world will throw at us by ourselves, to not have to fear what may happen because you hold the world in your hands. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room that when Satan would come, we are led by your spirit into the valleys and the deserts where life is hard, where things don't make sense, and where the temptation is to try to control it and do it ourselves, that we have a Savior who has been through that very thing, if not more, and has led a pathway of hope for us. So Lord, I pray that temptation would not overtake us, but I thank you that when it does, we have a Savior who has already delivered us from the penalty of death that would come with it. Because that is the gospel. The gospel is good. And the gospel says that there is greater hope than anything that this world and Satan and his powers and his demons and all of those authorities would ever throw at us. That there is nothing that can separate us from your love. So Lord, we claim and live in that promise today. And as we go out from here, my prayer for us, God, as a church, is that we would take that news to the people who need it most. That people we know are walking alone people we know are walking in fear would no longer do that because they have a Savior who loves them, who's tempted in every way as they were and will be and was without sin and we can follow him into the depths of eternity. And we thank you for the truth. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.